0: the free for all round table
1: Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think.
0: Round one.
1: On round one, Mark Warner is here, international trade lawyer. Laura Babcock from Power Group Communications and Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now with the Ontario Real Estate Association. Um, Let's start actually with this uh, housing program because this is kind of blockbuster news. And Tim, I'll start with you. It's in your wheelhouse. But we're talking about, what is it, 65,000 homes, thirty-six billion billion, seven seven years. And I think this is the real takeaway uh, that the state effectively is going to champion this whole thing. And so instead of, you know, seeding money out there and trying to incentivize developers, uh, the city is going to tackle this. What do you think?
2: Well, parts to like and parts that I I am concerned about. Uh, look, we are in a housing affordability crisis because of a lack of supply, and that's across the spectrum from, you know, your your detached home with the white picket fence to condos, uh, to uh, to rentals to social housing. So, it's it's good to see a priority continue at City Hall from Mayor Tory and Mayor Chow on the housing front. All right. Here's my concern, John. Government is not good at building homes. They can set the policy. They can set the parameters. They can even incent, as you said. But our history, particularly in the early 1990s, of government-owned, government-run housing has been a miserable one. Here, Here's a better idea. Keep that target or even expand it. The Mayor Bloomberg in New York City actually used government-owned land from the city incented private sector developers to build that land 99 year leases with guarantees that they'll be available for first time buyers of modest means and secondly would stay in affordable rental units built by the private sector if they can do 160,000 units in New York City
1: for goodness sakes surely we can follow that route in the city of Toronto okay Uh, the uh, public and I realize there's a lot of private involvement uh, has been pretty lousy at building the Eglinton Crosstown what convinces us we can build housing Mark Warner
3: (laughs) Well, that's true. I mean, it is difficult and, and, and it's an immediate problem. And so we need to get going on it. It's hard to, for me to see that a lot of this can be done very quickly. And a lot of it also depends on getting money, it seems to be from the province. And I'm not sure the federal government, too, but certainly from the province. And I'm not sure how much of that's really, really on the table. I mean, so this is, again, another wish list from Toronto. I don't know whether that... Uh, you know, we have seen lots of wish lists in Toronto that go nowhere, but um, there are lots of little stuff that I thought was. Interesting. There's some line in one of the in the stories about ending the appeals. I'm not sure what the appeals are. I guess that zoning, yeah, if you have a certain percentage of uh, of, um, of of low-income housing, so that's an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I I wonder how that would survive. Uh, any uh, that would have to almost be done at a provincial level, I guess, to be meaningful, and probably also a federal level, and. And then you start talking about uh, if it's just zoning but sometimes the issues that hold us up are environmental um which i think is also a major which of course would not just be at the, the local level so right, look i think it's interesting for people to talk about there's a lot here it's too much really for me to get into the meat on here because i haven't read it and but uh it's interesting to see people are doing it um i do think this one last comment i'll make because i've been looking about uh, some parts of this just just on another file just looking at it um which is I do think the world has changed a lot since we had the co-op movement um, and we built houses in that way. And I think the reality now, when you're dealing with two-income families um, and you're dealing with people who have sort of investment property, I, you, I think we've got to think about how the world has changed and, and how you would actually target these things to people who really need it and not have you know younger people who see a source of cheap housing while they, you know, rent out their investment property on the lakeshore. And, and that's, again, the devil's always in the details. But that's one of the thoughts I've been thinking about lately.
1: Laura Babcock, I forget who said it, but they insisted that in order to actually get the housing built that we need to build, we needed sort of a World War II mentality. And there is an aspect of that to this plan.
0: Yeah, and that's what I like about the plan. So I, my first house actually was one of those World War II houses in Hamilton, and it was the only thing we could afford at the time. I don't think we could afford it now, given how the prices have shot up. I feel for young couples, uh, but you know, until we had our second child, then we were able to move up to a four-bedroom house, and, and that's kind of the the housing dream, right? But to Mark's point, a lot of people don't want the driveway, don't want you know all those rooms. Are interested maybe in co-op housing, are interested in a different option, and this is what I like about the plan. First of all, I like I like that it focuses on the extension of rent control. I like that it has a real priority around affordability here. This is not, you know, the houses on the greenbelt picket fence kind of things. This is things that is re- that are reasonable. And not everybody even wants to access or thinks they can access the housing market now. So you've got to kind of bake that into the cake. Things really have changed in terms of what people see for their futures. All of that being said, Olivia Chow recognizes that this is huge. It's ambitious. It's got a lot of possible Obstacles, I think, is the word she used in it. But, you know, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a goal, if you don't set this tone and make it ambitious, kind of like a moonshot to deal with this absolute crushing crisis across this country, um, then you're never going to start. And so I I like that she's got this. I like that she's going to get people to the table, get people weighing in on it, you know, refine the plan as you go. But a good leader sets a vision and starts working towards the goal despite the obstacles. And one other thing, John, is that Olivia Chow is the the mayor of Toronto, she sets the tone across this country. You know, I think sometimes in Toronto people forget, uh, you know, just the massive size of Toronto and the amount of coverage it gets across the country. And I think if it can help inspire other mayors to tackle these ambitious goals and to sort of go after the province, if the Ford government's is serious about housing as they've been saying for months, then now's their time to show it. Tensions
1: are on the rise in our community as a result of the tensions in the Middle East. And uh, Mark Warner, I'll start with you. This includes somewhat alarming incidents, such as some guy pounding on the door of a Jewish home and then yelling at people inside. And uh, Muslims say they're also the victims of this sort of, I won't call it petty necessarily, but I mean, you know, just being shouted at in the streets or glared at.
3: You know, I have trouble with this, John, because, uh, you know, obviously there's a part of me that... uh, If if any of that's true, then I really, um, you know, it really gets, it catches a point, a sore point with me, and I'm very sympathetic to it. The difficulty I have when you start talking about anything to do with Israel and anti-Semitism is I'm not so sure I'm ready to buy anyone saying I was targeted because I'm Jewish, they're killing Jews, yada, yada, yada. You know, like last time, my my Twitter feed was filled with people talking about people going after a Jewish-owned business, and that got me in a certain spot, so I Googled it and found out the business is owned. It's very easy to find out nowadays with Google. It didn't take a lot of work, maybe five seconds. It was owned by by uh, 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 an ex-member of the Israeli special IDF Special Forces. He puts it on his website. I have to tell you, as a former activist back in the day on South Africa, I would have regarded the South African business as a legitimate target. And so I'm sorry if that's the kind of thing people are going to say is that that's in Jews. I'm sorry, no, you're not going to get me on that. So I need to be very specific what they are I mean if you are you waving a flag and saying things about uh, Israel and Palestine and then people respond I don't know so I I, I think it's a very serious thing um, and it's also a very serious thing to be very precise about it. And I think a lot of people aren't being very precise about what they're calling anti-Semitic at this particular moment. Laura, As we saw yeah. in the legislature with the banning of this, this black woman for saying things that are said by former presidents of Israel, former prime ministers of Israel, former generals in Israel, former heads of the intelligence agencies of Israel. And we're going to ban this woman for saying that in the Ontario legislature. Give me a break. Laura, your thoughts?
0: Well, well, I mean, it is extremely serious, and even to, to Mark's point, and I've been advocating for this as well on anything that I'm doing, uh, look carefully, you know, look carefully at what you post, look carefully at what you read, look carefully at what you react to, um, try to get to the source of the story if you can, and if you can't, you know, don't, don't go off um, with an emotional reaction, because we are all traumatized. I mean, you can't look at the terrorism of Hamas and hear those stories and see those images and not feel absolutely Sick, and you cannot know that there are millions, like you know, in a, in an effectively open air cage in Gaza who are dying, like it, you know, who are at risk of absolutely dying if they don't get aid. I mean, how can any of us be operating rationally in this space globally? As the mayor of New York said so eloquently, we are not all right. So, within that context, you know, I urge everybody to just take a deep breath. I mean, the, what we saw happen at Merritt's office was not okay. The threats against Sarah Jama's office, not okay. Sarah being Ejected from the caucus, I thought was a step too far. There's incredible anger about it in Hamilton amongst the NDP. I mean, why, like we we need to, as much as we can during this very scary conflict, try to take a breath. I mean, we have even you know uh, someone from Israel asking for the the UN lead to step down because of comments made about this yesterday. I mean, the top diplomat in the world, you know, is is walking on on a thin line on this. The whole situation is fraught and i haven't seen anything this fraught from a comms perspective john in a very long time so i just think that everyone should try to themselves be kinder be, you know, be more supportive, send people a smile. And I mean, we all need it, right? These things don't just happen. Everybody is very, very upset and exhausted and we need to be there for each other.
1: Okay, I want to turn to another topic and take advantage of the fact that you're an economist, Tim Hudak, uh, Bank of Canada to set the rate today. I anticipate they'll hold the line, but who can tell?
2: You can't you can't tell, and they they certainly signal directions, John, in the comments uh, that they make, and the market believes that it will be. Um the line will be held when it comes to interest rates and therefore our mortgage rates. Look, we need to fight uh, inflation. It is uh, an insidious disease. It eats away at our our savings and stability, it makes life a lot less affordable. But sometimes the medicine is painful uh, as well, and it has to be based on you know what is actually happening uh, in the marketplace. Good signals that inflation is coming more under control, which I expect will mean a a hold for this time being. If we we see continued hold and hopefully downward pressure, then uh, in the new New year. Uh, that will help start make housing more affordable because your savings will go further and mortgage rates will be more affordable. So I I remain, while somewhat pessimistic in the, the short term, more positive
1: in the uh, intermediate. And Mark Warner, I don't know, given your field of endeavor and trade, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts about interest rates and not just in Canada, but around the world.
3: I do. You know, the smartest thing I ever learned when I was younger working for chief economist of an investment bank before I became a lawyer um, was he taught he, he taught me that, you know, Canada doesn't have a lot of leeway to set interest rates. So I always look at what the Fed's doing, because I think ultimately, even if there's some lag of a month or so, Canada will follow. We have to. It's the nature of us being a small, open economy country. The United States is on pause. So I do expect Canada will be on pause. And, and I don't get as excited about interest rates, John, as people, some people do in Canada, because I, I don't really think Canadians get to set the interest rate. So, I know that's bad. people would love to hear that, but that's generally my to draw my bank.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess I get excited about it because I have a variable rate mortgage. But anyway, thanks to you all. Uh, Tim Budak, Laura Babcock, and Mark Warner. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845,
2: weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010, Toronto.